Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. After this recording, you will be able to hear information about our Australian and New Zealand tour and also find out who won a box of books this week. It's my turn to start this time, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is my turn to start. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Hello. Uh, it's very hot in the studio today. Oh. And we've got a little bit... Eat. Josie's even lost. Your hairline's changed. <laughs> she normally have very specifically styled hair, and uh, whereas I don't. Made me ever so self-conscious. Of... And Robin, we just had a fight about water supplies in the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's not been a very pleasant afternoon. Anyway, we're joined by uh, the actor, writer and broadcaster, Ralph Little. See, that was the correct way of doing very the introduction, good. wasn't it? Very professional. And now the afternoon just got that little bit more unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with with an extra dodgy hairline. Yeah, so the uh, well, you you I, have I'm a beard now because yes. you <laughs> oh, are. No, I'm scrutinising it. You look fine. Is it okay? Is it okay? Yeah. There you go. You see, we you we, have a hairline. I have which a hairline. Is still on your. It's every time I don't do that much television, and it's just long enough apart that each time I sit in a makeup chair, they have to do a little bit more of the forehead <laughs> yeah. because it didn't used to be forehead. It's <laughs> yeah. rear forehead. Your makeup call gets like five minutes longer every time just for the extra powder. No, it actually becomes less because they just have to go, just throw it at him. There's <laughs> yeah. nothing that can be done here, save for trying to remove as many of the features as possible to stop insulting the eyes of the viewer. Um, so we're going to start, get straight away, because I've known you since about, what's about 2000? 2001, I think, probably, yeah. something like that. We, yeah. we did a thing called Up Late with uh, Ralph Little, yes, and then the Ralph Little Show, yes. uh, which is a very interesting show because the producer, who we won't name, uh, generally just seemed to come out, I've come up with a good idea. Why don't we do uh, have some lap dancers on? Yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah, it was it was quite an interesting bit it was of work. A year, right? And we we sort of were trying to make it as good as we could be, but just with this sort of moving lap dancers out of the way and yeah. trying to talk about things that interested us. Excuse me, love, do you mind moving out of the way? We just want to talk about this book. And the it producer just... going, "Don't move the lap dancer." Yeah, don't oh, move, for yeah. heaven's sake. Yeah, it was it wasn't as bad as I've just made it sound. By the no, way, it wasn't. but um, it wasn't as horrifically misogynistic as it just made it sound. But, but um, I think if the producer had had his way, <laughs> exactly. it would have been. That was the idea. But we thought I would throw my pages of Susan Faludi willy-nilly like <laughs> petals in front of him in the hope of changing everything. So um, you are now writing as well. You, you are predominantly known, uh, I, I would still say, as, as, as an actor. Yeah. But you started writing, you wrote uh, a series which, did it go out on Sky? Sky, yeah, two series called The Cafe. Yeah. I did that. And then I did a one-off for Sky, uh, as one-off sci-fi, which you should, you're a big sci-fi fan, you should watch. I think it'd be right, it'd be your street. Um, and I think there's a, I to, a lot of it was probably quite derivative, but I don't think there's any sci-fi that isn't derivative anymore. You just pick one of three like major themes and then just try and riff on that. Yes. What, what were you trying to? What, what was? What were your influences up to that point? Were, that, were they television, film influences? Or were they book influences? Weirdly, um, a video game. I know you're not a gamer, and we, we should talk about this later, or we talk about it now. One of the things, the most immersive. I know we're here to talk about books, and it's not a gaming podcast, but there's a game called Mass Effect, which is a trilogy. And if you complete this trilogy and do the whole thing, it's like 150 hours worth of gameplay. And you're, you're the protagonist and you go through trying to essentially save the galaxy and all this kind of thing. And it's, um, it's the most immersive storytelling I've, I've, I've witnessed in the last 20 years in, in any medium. Um, you have to get out of the studio now. <laughs> the, uh, what the hell's happened? <laughs> I told you he was too Sorry. young to have on the yeah. show. <laughs> we've taken a left turn here. Yeah. But also it's funny because it's not something that we've... I don't think we've ever discussed games at all in this show. Yeah, when, when bloody Harold Bloom doesn't update on his book about the canon and it's going to include Doom... 
what the hell's going Boom. on? That, that is, is a bit much. Your yeah. reference points. <laughs> because it's the canon. Of course it's because I'm talking about the canon, which would have been the classic games of the time, because you, you've obviously read Harold Bloom's The I, Canon. Yeah. Well, I say I read it. I've read enough to be like, oh, no, thanks, Bloom. We don't need your <laughs> canon. We're the women. Yeah. But, it's, but it's interesting because it's sort of... It's like we're pretending this whole sphere of culture doesn't exist. I don't think it's we're pretending. It's just never come up. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It is. It's we never talked about, you know, kind of gloves on this podcast. (laughs) It's just mainly been an element. Now we have. Let's let's move on with this with these gloves. One of the greatest (laughs) bits. Yeah. My favourite bit of glove work is the story that Ben Moore wrote. Wonderful writer Ben Moore, who we've talked about before, and other people should know. And Ben Moore had a lovely piece where he would talk about these single gloves that had been found on walks, where you find a single glove, and as he would bring up each glove, he would then hold up the glove in a bag, and it would become this museum. Museum of the lost single glove. All those people who've returned home and gone, oh, I've only got one glove now. That's and so therefore they become pointless gloves. It was a beautiful right. piece of work. Yeah, well, yeah. There's nothing sadder than one shoe in the pavement. So yeah, the other one. Well, no, one right. shoe though is a, one glove can easily be lost. Yeah, the ability to lose one shoe and not notice it mm. either suggests, yeah, a terrible act. I found a handwritten invite to a birthday party today, a child's birthday party. It said, um, "You are invited." Uh, it's my birthday we are going to have a private makeover session at body shop at 6.30pm and then either go Nando's or the Casbah my mum is paying for it would you like to come yes colon reason no colon reason RSVP that is so needy. Some pressure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, for, yes. On a kid. What's your reason for wanting yeah. to say yes? I'm not sure that that, that invite was lost so much as <laughs> just tossed idly away so in, in a sort of fury. No, I, I think it's someone who's so desperate that they go, still haven't got quite enough people, leave them around. Maybe someone will pick one up and go, oh, that'll be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that very needy person who wrote it in the reason, first place. Reason, cocoa a... butter. <laughs> so you, you were playing this video game. Oh, so it's a, so it, look, it, it's a game. I mean, it, it, this, is not a, this is not a game conversation, but I just think it's interesting. That, it's interesting that you haven't talked about it, and, and I understand why. Um, but I know you, Robin, you... you when you were, you've talked a lot and you write a lot about when you were a kid and you used to, you know, read Doctor Who magazines and whatever, and you've talked about how it made you feel to be that that sense of kind of belonging to something, even though it wasn't cool at the time. It's really interesting that that video games now are extremely sophisticated. Some of them are still terrible, just like any other genre, but some of them are extremely sophisticated and they can expand worlds and expand characters in a way that it, it other forms media just can't do because yeah. they you don't have the time. Who, who has 150 hours to spend on anything else? Um, and, you know, they, they, they in certain respects, they're leading the field. And this, there was this game called Mass Effect. And I'll tell you something really interesting about it, which I think you'll find from an artistic point of view very interesting, is um, the endings were considered quite rushed uh, of Mass Effect 3. It's this epic thing, this epic, incredible story. And uh, and you meet characters along the way that you make friends with. And unlike normal video games, if somebody dies, you can't go back and go, oh, I lost a life. Your mates die that you've spent ages getting to know and you've in, in, had conversations with them and whatever. And um, you know, a friend of mine was like, yeah, but why do you care? It's only a video game character. I was like, the same way you care if somebody dies in a film. It's the same thing. Or a book, even. Um, anyway, the endings were considered by the fans. They hated them. They hated the endings of Mass Effect 3, the end of the trilogy. And uh, there was uproar online. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but people think that uh, being angry online is like a thing that they're, they're okay to do. Um, there was uproar online. It was like, these endings are terrible. And what happened, I don't know if this has ever happened before. I'm sure it has, but it just seemed astonishing to me that the game makers said, 
okay, we're really sorry. We've disappointed you. We'll, we'll redo the ending. We'll re-release an ending in six months' time. You can download a patch and then play the game again. To, to And they changed the whole endings. And and I have to admit, you know, I, I'm really torn about it because the first endings were a little bit disappointing. And then you replay it again and you go, this is much better. Some people are still like, it's still not good enough. I'm angry because I'm online. But it's brilliant, like the new ending, and it feels like it's a much better end to the story. But what does... What direction does that mean that artistic endeavor is going in that you make something, put it out there for the consumer, and then if they don't like it, you just redo it? We see the thing is, in terms of the form of books, then what happens is you write another book. Yeah. So you don't just go, I'm going to put another ending. But it's quite, because I, I was getting worried recently where I was thinking, I was talking to someone who's a neuroscientist and you know the increasing ability to scrutinize our brains at a smaller and smaller level. And I started to wonder whether there will be a point where we're able to scan the brains of human beings and get so many details that we can, upon our death, be turned into code. And then those, our family members, can then just go, oh, here's the code that makes uh, our great-great-grandfather, and we're going to place him in this game. And then you kind of end up being like Harlan Ellison's, you know, I have no mouth and I must scream, or something <laughs> like that, that ev everyone is left as code. Anyway, that's what was worrying me. So that's why I'm not playing video games. Though I probably should to practice for my future. Well, that's what I thought was an interesting. And how do you feel? How would you feel about that as a concept of immortality? Well, that better than No, I think it's a very interesting idea of you know whether there would ever be a possibility of therefore we become this program, we become this, and then then you then you're stuck with. But at what point of you know? At what point are we coded? Which ironically brings me, well, not ironically, but neatly brings me right around to what I was saying was my one-off sci-fi. I started talking about that, I wrote for uh, Sky, is about um, the nature of uh, artificial intelligence becoming self-aware and then what constitutes life, what constitutes, uh, you know, extinguishing life and all that kind of thing. And I think my thing to, touched on this theme of um, this uh, computer that had become self-aware but wanted to do the right thing, but the right thing, it, it didn't have the... It didn't have, it hadn't evolved. It had learned too, too much too fast. And so it realized that, this, that the way to ensure the safety of the crew was to blow the ship up because then they wouldn't reach and then they wouldn't die a worse death if they got to the destination. Do you know something like that? All very lofty themes, Robin. So it was far well, it cry, would help far a lot cry when, from those lap dancers we were you talking know, about. All it. those bits where it's, you, you don't know which person to shove off the railway line to stop. You know, yeah, once you've got that robot that's just got just enough awareness to be both pragmatic and utilitarian. Yeah. Well, that's great news, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well yeah. done. You've actually invented this. Oh, it's just a story. Well, this is no help to humankind at all. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, a, what were yeah. you reading beforehand to get? Because I think it's an interesting thing about that robot, the self-awareness thing, where our awareness, we, we don't know the point in which we kind of feel that we've become us. You know, when you see a baby, you know the baby's not yet. Yeah. And so. It's just once. It's just needs, not wants. But I, I, I know friends who argue, not massively scientifically, but they argue very emotionally, um, that uh, their their baby had personality was it was its own personality from the moment it was born. And I'm, I find myself not massively convinced because obviously it needs data needs data to to be able to process thought and whatever. But I don't know. I think it'd be a very interesting question to find out at what point do you become you. Well, there's, I mean, that's the, it's the, it will probably be like trying to find out when, when you actually get life on earth, mm. where actually the definition of the unis of you. But it's, yeah. yeah. So what have you been reading then? This sounds like, you know, again, very different from when you were page seven <laughs> of the News of the World. Um, it's not, that's the irony. When I was page seven of the News of the World, these are the conversations I was having. They just, uh, they just weren't interested in those. Um, I don't know. This is a really weird one. I've brought them with me, uh, actually. 
this is a really weird one, but because I now, because I'm writing a lot and I own a production company and we're busy doing all sorts of stuff, you're often, it sounds, it's horribly mercenary. I know that you both like just will consume books because you're like, you're a massive secondhand bookshop fan and all that kind of thing. I don't know how, I mean, you are relentless. I don't know how you have to find the time, but fair play it's to you. terrifying. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I, like... I always feel like a phony in, yeah. in doing this with him because yeah. like within a few days he'll go to me, what have you read? And I'll be like, um. I've read eight still... more books <laughs> yeah. and they were, and six of them were rubbish, but I enjoyed them anyway. It's yeah. like, Robin, and, calm and down. what I was reading yesterday <laughs> when I saw you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got I, halfway through the next chapter I on the tube. I made my dinner yeah. last night. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. I, I, I use the weight of the books around me to muck around with the fabric of space-time, thus giving me more browsing. <laughs> Which uh, it will come to as well, because I, I want to talk about Terry Pratchett, and he had a thing of L-Space. God, how funny. We were talking about how the same things come up inadvertently on the same days, and we hadn't spoken about Terry Pratchett at all on this podcast. Yeah. And no. then today, earlier, somebody else Who mentioned spoke about Terry John Pratchett? Dowie was, was really? talking about Terry Pratchett, oh, the way well, that he go. finds Terry Pratchett very moving, both very funny and... Uh, absolutely. It makes me feel too superstitious. I'm like, what is in the air today? <laughs> how has yeah. this worked? Yeah, there's just a massive Terry Pratchett poster outside the, the, <laughs> the studio. That's why everyone's just thinking of it. No, it's um, Darren Brown's Terry, Terry yeah. Pratchett experiment. Yeah. Terry yeah. Pratchett was a really formative writer for me. My mum used to read him. And so she had loads of his books. And when I was about eight or nine, it just became this thing where it was like, oh, there's me this too. whole world to participate in. Yeah, yeah. And like you st I started out with the ones that were specifically the kids' ones. So. Oh, no, I see. Well, it's weird. I came, I came back around to those. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, let's talk Terry Pratchett then. I mean, he, uh, it's a strange one, Terry Pratchett. They'll, they'll notice, I'll show you in a second. I, I just went to Foils and, and, and bought, because I didn't have one of them to bring in, and brought one of uh, uh, Jingo, because I thought it was as, as um, uh, Jingo's about, you know, a new land comes up in the middle of the sea between the east and west, and they fight over it. And mm -hmm. then the, 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 it plays out that the land ultimately disappears, so the, the war's a complete waste of time. But it's brilliant, and it's a perfect example of what he does. There's so much about him, that, but Jingo's been reissued uh, with a with an adult-looking cover, and I think I, I often think that's very, uh, you know, you see that happen when do you remember when Harry Potter was mm. reading, so people could justifiably read it on the tube and not feel like they were reading a kids' book, even though they were reading a kids' book, which is fine, but you don't need to pretend. It's fine. We all know what it is. Um, I think Terry Pratchett there had these really iconic looking, I think it was called Josh Kirby, I don't know why I remembered that name, but he used to illustrate these these books and they looked sort of cartoon, very colourful cartoons, cartoony yeah. A bit. And I think it put a lot of people off and made it think they were either very, very nerdy or very, very kiddy. And they were sort of both, but they were also so much more. more. And he started with um, The Colour of Magic, which is his first book. And if you, if you were going to read Terry Pratchett, you were going to do it canonically in order of the things that in order of the Discworld books, you'd read The Colour of Magic and then The Light Fantastic. But I sort of recommend people not to bother because in The Colour of Magic, he was just trying to take the piss out of Lord of the Rings. That was his absolute MO. That's all he wanted to do. And I didn't read Lord of the Rings till years after. Um, hated it, by the way. Uh, what's with all the songs? Oh For, just <laughs> stop! How much walking yeah. can they... And, and, and there's a hundred pages before they get to Rivendell of Frodo was tired, the leaves were brown, oh, it was cold, yeah. Frodo was tired. I know, he's walked for a hundred pages, yeah. I'm tired reading it. Put it in three words, mate. Yeah, exactly. Can't put it in three yeah. words, yeah. you shouldn't be bothering. I think we can all agree, Tolkien was rubbish. Yes, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I, come at me. Come at me. This is the second time I've said it today and I'm willing to defend this. Yeah. I just think, like, I always say, like, if you can't say it in that, don't try and say yeah. it in that. Like, yeah. you don't need to make up a, mate, you don't need to make up a language but what's really interesting i mean <laughs> i know we're gonna dive, dive digress here but um 
It's it's one of the rare things. I mean, I thought the films were great. I mm. thought the, the stories of the films were great. I know someone who was like, I hate those things. Oh, I'm I'm Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Who cares who your dad is? It's always <laughs> made me laugh. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's true. I don't. Hi, I'm Ralph, son of Michael. Um, but um, I, yeah, I thought the films were better, and I thought the films were better because they were linear and they lost a load of walking because you can't just keep representing walking for half an hour on a film because people get bored. Mm. Um, but they also lost Christopher Lee, who was very cross about that. Yes, he wasn't happy. What, because he was like... This he isn't... was Saruman, and he was cut out of one of the films, yeah. which he thought was a terrible error. Well, that is harsh. Yeah. But... He was in the other one, though. Yeah, he was. It's still in it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought the films were, were very good, and it was an interesting thing of going, actually... Yeah, they did sort of have the have the balls to go. There's a lot of dead space in this book that we don't need, mm. and it's better for it. You know, somebody should have just maybe edited him a little bit. <laughs> anyway, um, I feel really frightened for the backlash we're gonna get. Oh, now. it's great! I can't wait till this goes out. Wait till my Twitter lights up. That'll be a few <laughs> more fights for me to get into. I'm enjoying my silence. <laughs> Continue, fools. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm a lot quieter on Twitter now than I than I ever have been, yeah. and um, and it's, get, be- it's better. It gets beaten out of you, doesn't it? Like it's better. What I want to say and what I actually say. Of become really far apart well, from each other. I find, I find that, um, what is it? I find that, I, I really thought that if you were reasonable and patient and you asked people and you talked to people and you didn't, you know, then, then it, things would work. And you suddenly realise how hard it is for politicians uh, and how hard it is for anyone that wants to do anything important because people don't listen or don't care mm. about, uh, I think there was a study recently saying people are more likely if they have an entrenched belief, the more evidence you show them, the more entrenched that they will become. Mm. I've always tried to pride myself because I've got a, quite a scientific, I say scientific background, I did A-levels, um, but that's, that's, you know, that's close enough. But I feel like I've got quite a scientific way of looking at things, a scientific mind, and um, which has really been handy in the arts. Um, but uh I'd like to th- I pride myself on thinking if you can, I'll have my mind changed. I mean, I'll be dogmatic and I'll be difficult, but if you can, if you rationalize it to me, I'll have my mind changed. But that doesn't happen on Twitter you say, or anything. And it, I find it, it's got to the point where I just, I cannot be bothered anymore. And then I find myself morally thinking, I've got what, like 90,000 followers. Those are 90,000 people that I could, do I need to do for, 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 do I need to ethically for good? make statements or points or try to make arguments that need to be made because it makes the world a better place. And I have sort of continued in that vein at least to try and then just gone, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it's kind of, it's a sad, it's a sad place to be in, I think. Yeah, I but we were on Terry Pratchett before. We were you, on Terry Pratchett. You two started to dance <laughs> on the grave of J.R.R. Tolkien. I've never read Lord of the Rings, so I don't have, I'm fine on Do, it. I mean, let's... Uh, I've read a little bit This is it. where I feel awful. I've read about two thirds of the first book and then I was like, Right, I'm yeah. going to read Raymond Carver now, and if anyone thinks that that is wrong, yeah. I'm so no. Do you know what? I I read the whole thing, Lord of the Rings, and it was it, it is a magnificent achievement. It really is. It's an extraordinary thing. The you know he invented his own language. The 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 imagination is just. I mean, it, it I could never conceive of anything like that. Um, it's an extraordinary achievement. It's it's just that it's it's a it's not it's not without its flaws, and its yeah. flaws are kind of irritating. And they take a hundred pages to get through, and then you get to the good stuff again. You're thinking, dude, and then that's it. There's a bit where they get to Rivendell. There's the bit you said. There's a hundred pages of walking, and then in three pages, I think it's the Council of Elrond. They, they in the in three pages they describe what has been happening in the rest of the book, the rest of the characters, and they're like, yeah. Well, then I popped over here, and then I did that, and I was thinking, why not write about that? No. All you've written about is walking. So there yes. will be terrible if it's like. Like 100 pages of walking 
and then as they came over the hill, suddenly they had a really big fight for ages. <laughs> then they started walking again. <laughs> what, did, what happened in the fight? Well, oh, the, but then, there is a bit of that, actually. That is kind of what it's like. Yeah, they have this whole council and then they go, OK, what we need to do is we need to do a lot more walking. And you go, oh, really? And then and off it goes, you know. So, so Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. So Terry Pratchett's first books were kind of taking the piss out of Lord of the Rings. That's what he wanted to do. And, he, you know, he did it very well. But he sort of settled, he found his voice and settled into this groove of, he sort of abandoned the Lord of the Rings pastiches in favour of this world that he created that was a, a, a an allegory for, and, and it was analogous to our world, but kind of, but clearly magical. But um, And he just tackles so much philosophy, politics, and he does it with this wry lightness of touch. And yeah, I think when I look back now, and, I, and I've read to the point where I've read Terry, you're incredibly well read. I think you probably are as well, Josie. No. And I'm actually, I'm not well read. I've read, it's slightly embarrassing to say, but I've, t- I've read the same things over and over again. I keep coming back to them. Cause no, often... but some, there are certain things where the, your delight in them means when you go, oh, should I try that? No, I love this thing. And yeah. therefore that familiarity Absolutely. is... Absolutely. And, and there's, there's so much, they're so dense. In, in, in the best possible way, you know, there's so many. Uh, you you might remember vaguely what the what the overarching plot line is, but the little asides, you know, he has he was great with with little asterisks and then asides that would go on for three pages while he was mm. describing a whole other sub subplot of 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 a part of this world that he'd created, um, which is why it's been so far impossible to really do justice to it on screen because you need time and you need investment, you need twelve hours of of screen time, but um, well, that's an interesting that inability for so, you know to, from one to transfer from one I always think with something like Brideshead Revisited which was turned into a film but in 1981 when it was adapted I think it was John Mortimer adapted it it took 13 hours yeah. to put a novel that's mu- not much longer than 300 pages mm. to give so the idea of then turning it into two hours yeah are we having a great time in Oxford I'm gay and not happy I think I'm dying <laughs> in a hot country I'm trying to be a painter I'll never find joy Bye. <laughs> that's, it's really that's, hard to kind that of. That was actually very good. Well, that's what if I'm you trying can, to. If you get your editor to cut that out and send it into Radio Four, that's a radio play <laughs> right there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you know, Terry Pratchett, the, the world is so dense. You can't, and and that's what um, uh, Peter Jackson was doing with Lord of the Rings. He was like, yeah, yeah, look, I need I need three hours per film. Thanks very much. And then probably I'm going to extend the last one about an hour and a half beyond I should have done. But um, I'll be in it. Oh, you won't, Christopher. And <laughs> I, yes. I wasn't in it. I got. And I'm not just a horror actor. I've never even played Dracula. You have. (laughs) Nobody remembers that. But then that's where you come back to video games. I I, I (sighs) still keep... No, no, but I keep thinking 150 hours. Is there anything else culturally that is that long? You know, you you look at an American TV series that runs for 10 series or whatever. It's still not 150 hours. Exactly. Well, I do know that the Quinn Martin production of Alan Moore's Jerusalem um, starring the uh, ghost of uh, of the Douglas family and uh, yeah and Jack Klugman mm-hmm. and Carl Molden. How that's going to be that's going to be 173 hours. I mean, 127 hours was only 127 hours, yeah. and he cut his arm off in that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be 173 hours. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's been made, no, it's not really been made by Quinn Martin Productions. Were 90s. Uh, Quinn Martin Productions presents Streets of San Francisco oh. in tonight's show. Right. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say. I'd love Alan Moore, but I don't think I'm going to be watching anything for 173 hours. I'll give it a go. I mean, I you think... You play I, that game for 150, you won't give another think, 23 no, hours. No, but that's what I think. I'd, I think I'd flag after 150. I think that might be... Not might, in one fell swoop. Oh, right, all right. Yeah, I thought, yeah, you I thought you had to, to sleep. I thought you had to sit there. No, you're allowed to, you're allowed to have a sleep in I'd be like Invasion of the Body Snatchers going, mustn't sleep, <laughs> but still desperately trying to watch it. What other books have you read and reread and treasured? 
Um, I, I'm, I'm, that's what I was about to, uh, to say, actually. I, because I'm, I'm trying now in a sort of slightly mercenary way, you know, like I say, Robin just reads and reads and reads for the, for the joy of it. And I, I do get to do that. But often now I'll be reading something and there's that terribly mercenary thing of going, oh, can this be adapted? Can I see if the rights are available? All that kind of thing. Yeah. How far do you get through a book? When, Because when, I, I know that in kind of in American production houses, stuff like that, they will get copies of the book very, and, and they will send almost immediately. Because I remember a friend of mine going, wow, it was really amazing. I got like Mary Tyler Moore's company or whatever it was, mm. sent me this letter saying they really loved my book. And someone said, ah, they do that to everyone. Said so you'll start finding you get loads of these letters. They haven't read the book yet, but they want to be the first to go. Oh, by the way, we love you and we think you're very, very special. There might be something in this book, and then they yeah. may well just ignore you. My ex so- Simon is the guy at his company that had to read everything like that. So there'd be some book, and they'd be like, oh, "Yeah, we're trying to work out whether this is worth adapting." And then over the weekend, he'd have to go and yeah. read that book. Or, there are yeah. worse so jobs. So what point do you? Yeah. Get, what point do you give really up well when you go? You know, say you're uncertain. How far will you go with an uncertain? a book you're uncertain about how far will you read before you go no nah, I don't think that or will you read the entire book I'll, I'll try and I'll read the whole thing I think I think have a good twist I think so you read the whole thing but it's the same with scripts if somebody sends me a script you know I've read scripts that in the first 15 out of 30 pages are woeful um, you know that, that, a, that a writer has sent in and it just uh, d- doesn't work but then you get something and you go but they have got something and it's a neat idea and they've just they were finding their feet in the first 15 pages and I, I don't know I, I think I think books go through more of an editing process of course if, it's, if you're still not engaged in the first half of the book then you're struggling but um, it's very rare I've ever given up on a book I'm, I, I can't I feel like I hate quitting on a book um, which po- probably is why I don't read as voraciously as you do and as, and as eclectically as you do because once I've committed I have to finish I play hard. tag you see I do a lot of book tag Oh, I want to. Right. See, I sometimes get stuck in a book that I'm not enjoying and it can last months. Yeah. Like, waste months of my life being like, I suppose I better read this thing that's not giving me pleasure at all. Yeah, the Rebecca Solnit book. How dare you! (laughs) I read um, years ago, I read Vernon God Little by DBCPA. Oh, couldn't be bothered with that. (laughs) Sorry. Well, that's what I mean. I read it and I. It's weird. It took me ages and I was determined to finish. And actually, it's really weird. I could not get into it, could not get into it. And then it has a really decent twist at the end. And so my everlasting memory of that book is going, I think I quite enjoyed that. I didn't. I really sweated through it and then enjoyed the ending, which isn't the same thing, but... I, don't know. I used to find that with the film Seven. When I went to see Seven, it yeah. had been so talked about as this amazing piece of work. Yeah. And then in the end, when they bring out the box... Yeah. You kind of go, oh, yeah. and then I go, oh, I didn't like it when there was a fat man with his head in some soup. Um, <laughs> There's a lot the, of stand-up shows like that, isn't it? Put a bit of music on at the end, say something heartfelt. Oh, that was amazing. Well, the first half hour. Josie, don't give away our <laughs> tricks. Not, not funny you for fool. like, not funny for an hour, and then going. But I'd like to. The, my, uh, you know, my my sister died, and I'd like this uh, show to be in honor of her. Everyone's like, oh, Broke. what an amazing show. <laughs> I saw Why is there so many different kinds of spaghetti shape. This is a poem by W. H. Auden. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my clever show. I saw a a stand-up, an incredibly famous, incredibly well-lauded, I can't name names, incredibly well-lauded, one of the most popular Can you actually not name names? Because there's a chapter in Oliver Sacks' book about that. I want to talk about Oliver Sacks, actually, yeah. The man who stuck his wife for a hat. Um, Yeah, I can't, I'm afraid, um, uh, mate. Um, So, um, yeah, uh, I can't name names, but incredibly lauded stand-up, one of the most popular in the world right now. And uh, they they said it's this me, thing. isn't it? It's you, Josie. <laughs> and they they said the show was it was it was a I think they were booked for it. it was a it was a tour, so they were doing an hour and a half. 
And an hour into the hour and a half set, they went like this. They walked to the back of the stage and they went, hey, uh, how long have I, have I got to do? Um, how, how long have I done? And they said, oh, right, right. And they came out and they said uh, into the microphone, they said, hey, um, just I'm contractually done now. I don't need to do any more, but I'm having such a nice time with you guys. I'm going to stay on. And I felt like going, get off. Don't, don't bullshit. Don't, don't do that. It was such a cheap trick yeah. for somebody who was so so big and so successful and so kind of admired it's Tony and, Wesley uh, <laughs> Tony Wesley and, 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 and so admired and, and rightly admired I think for the stand up but I found that such a cheap trick I it's so tacky it. as well because it's not a proper show is it you've not thought properly about the structure of that show exactly if you're like I'm exactly. going to stay on like, honestly, like, yeah, honestly if you're going to don't make it look we all know we're here for an hour and a half show don't I that's like you saw Groundhog Day last night imagine if Tim Minchin came off on, on three quarters of the way through and went hey guys actually we could finish it here but you're all very nice let's crack on you or watching Beckett just send on Godot. We've done our <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. The, uh, just are they enjoying it? No, send him on at the interval. Uh, all right, I'm Godot. You can all go home. There's a comic who I don't know if he still does. He used to do a thing where he'd sometimes go, um, "Do you know what, Lerjeman? I'm very privileged. I get paid for doing this, but to play in front of you tonight was just such oh. a one. It would cheapen it. Can someone get me the manager? I want my check, and I want, I want to rip it up on stage." And they would bring the check and he would rip it up on stage. He'd go, Legend, you've been wonderful. Now, of course, the thing is, you don't get paid on the night. So, so there's no, it oh. wasn't anything to do. But it was so in, in another way, you kind of go, do you know what? God bless your cat skills chutzpah. Yeah, for, and that's uh, what I mean. It, it is so, it's so bold. Just, just what out. do you mean they're paying us on the night? Yeah. Well, where's some sellotape? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this, oh you know, this, this, this person is, is, a, is a huge multi-millionaire huge star and, and, and is rightly adored for being brilliant and breaking new ground and everything and yeah this is like a good puzzle isn't it yeah. uh, and weirdly enough that now is not the worst thing that Bill Cosby might have done <laughs> oh. so come on now Robin I know you're a man oh, in his dear. late 40s but there's yeah. no need for that <laughs> that and the jumpers in the show they're the worst thing so we're nearly running out of time already we haven't oh, talked yeah, about I'm that sorry. many books I do, I do waffle so on don't I the, um, um, I wanted to talk about and I'm sorry uh, very briefly because we're talking about writing when you approach writing yes. and uh oh carolina hearn of course gave you your start in your career you were yeah. you know basically what the reason that often we're one doctor short now in a hospital we are one doctor is because short. you left medical school i'm essentially destroying the nhs single-handedly by not having qualified as a doctor yeah, yeah. yeah it's not, I it's not maybe do a song it's not from the play about walter mitty <laughs> yeah, the, exactly, um, yeah. but I, I could be in casualty love when you first when you see those scripts because so much of it seems to be uh it could you tell, and especially you were a young man, you were you'd late, late teens, mm -hmm. could you tell the quality of writing by seeing it on the page or was it that moment of sitting down with that car and suddenly that moment of it coming to life? I, I, I genuinely don't know the answer because I can't quite, I, I can't quite remember. I think, there's, I think what I'd like to say is, I just knew when I read it that it was fantastic, but I, I think I might be lying if I said that. Um, I mean, I knew from the moment that Ricky Tomlinson first started talking and doing his, his Ricky laugh with his big beard and just looking hilarious and gross, um, which he wouldn't mind me saying. <laughs> He's like, made a career off that kid. Um, <laughs> I knew it was funny then, and it just was very clear that it was hilarious. Although that said, you know, I've been in plenty of read-throughs where everyone's howling with laughter and then you made the show and it's not funny. So, um, I, 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 think, I think I did think it was great. 
But I, I might be lying. I, I, I just, I, I, once you, once we did the first one and then they came back, you would, you would read them going, oh, they're on form. This is great. You knew what you were dealing with. But that first one, I don't think I really did know how quite how good that was. I thought, I thought it was funny. But I remember I was reading it in my bedroom and my, my mum sort of heard her padding around on the landing outside, uh, outside my bedroom door. And then I went downstairs later and she, uh, she was like, I didn't hear much laughing. I was like, well, there were, no, there were no jokes. She went, oh, it's going to be rubbish then, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Thanks very much, Mum. She mother. was your agent at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which explains a lot. Yeah, which, she, which, uh, yeah, my mother, who also, the, when I wrote the cafe for Sky, she still, to this day, hasn't watched it. She said, well, I've not got Sky. And I said, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a DVD. She went, no, you're all right. I'm like, why don't you want to watch it? She went, well, I'm just worried in case it's shit and I won't know what to say. I'm like, bless you, Mum. And that's why I became an actor. Love me, people. Um, but, I uh, want everyone to love my son because I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, what a exactly. lovely gesture. <laughs> but I think that's better than parents sort of keeping alerts and watching all the stuff. Because if yeah. there's one person your creative stuff is not for, yeah. it oh, is yeah. your mother. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, there's many things that I've that I've done on television that I'm really glad that she's never bothered to watch. People going, oh, oh, but she's a proud and she's got a big scrapbook of all your stuff. I'm like, nope, <laughs> I've got that. <laughs> but sometimes it seems that Paul Merton's uh, autobiography, which has some lovely pieces in it, uh, one of the things was funny. His, his dad and him, I think, had that normal kind of nonchalant, maybe quite, you know, sometimes silent, not not antagonism, you know, but ne yeah. never a sense of. And he said, I think it was when his father died, he found this just collection of all his stuff. And oh, so his dad had been, and I think this is quite common, hmm. that sometimes the parents are are silently watching. Yeah. And that bit of when you want to revere someone or you want mm. to say, and, and it's a little bit too embarrassing. So it's much easier to say, well, yeah. I thought it was awful, but you were the least worst thing in it. <laughs> you know, which I think is a very yeah. English kind of approach. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I... I, I paint her in that light for comic effect really i mean she's a lot more supportive than i make out but yes so every now a duchess every now and again yes yeah, yeah. every now and again she will but she'll hand me a, just a box of, of stuff and i'll open it and it will be cuttings of stuff Aww. so it's not like putting a scrapbook but she'll go hey um you probably want to take these and it's probably because she's a bit embarrassed to keep it i don't know whatever it is crackers old this is what sheridan smith's doing now yeah. <laughs> oh, <dear, laughs> well pretty much that exact conversation <laughs> has happened hey sheridan doing well why aren't you doing well because we're not exactly going for the same parts mum do you know so um yeah so, i love her so much i love her so much she's a true treasure <laughs> i don't i don't know her i just love her i love her so much <laughs> yeah well so does everyone else so yeah. fair enough Good. <laughs> well we always talk about inside number nine that superb incredible episode there so, which just, episode was she in? Which one was oh i'm not gonna tell you anything about it but she's in the, in the about the second episode of the uh second series i've seen it all you, you've was not she... seen 12 Days of, of Christine. Oh, that's yeah. what she's in. Yeah. She's in the yeah. one with Sheridan Smith in. Yeah. Oh, I love it. her. If you've she's seen amazing. them all, you'll recognise her in See, it. you can yeah. name names. We're yeah. going to have to take yeah. you out of that Oliver Sacks book. That's the first time I'm cured. I'm cured. The, um, that's what we're here to do, cure you. And see, we've made you go to a bookshop to buy a book. You don't have any at home, so you had to go to Foils. No, do you know what <laughs> Do you know what was actually was in Foils? But I um, I didn't, it sounds very salacious, but um, I didn't stay at home last night, so I didn't. couldn't bring my books. It's not that kind of show. Video games was enough. I went to Foils. No, I I stayed on my mate's couch. This is the raciest episode of Bookshop. I know, it's a little bit too Because I stayed on a mate's couch. Sure, a mate's couch. So, I'm not sure, yeah. Mates, it was fine for the... for the Couch is like a the, for the site. Yeah, exactly, for the for the inverted comma signs. But I'm not sure what couch... It, it's a little bit... 
It's all got a bit icky. Yeah, I was trying to make it a bit blue. <laughs> That's what I enjoyed. Josie didn't put the uh, inverted commas around with her mates. fingers around mates. Yeah, I did. I put it right. around both she guys. Doesn't yeah, think. yeah. What are we oh, the um, We have very little time left, so uh, let's... Caroline, who are you talking about? Well, I just about wanted to add one more thing, which is how much do you think her... Because I, I was lucky enough to do an event where I met Tom Courtney afterwards. Mm. And of course, you have that rather lovely link yes. that uh, he was Billy Lyre and you really played Billy Lyre yeah. in the theatre. And... Um, you know, again, he was briefly talking about comedy and comedians and the mm. things. And do you, the influence of someone, you know, the, the, the Craig Cash and, and Karen Ahern, the, their ability to, well, basically place a script where a lot of people, I, I have no idea mm. what this is. Yeah. And then for it to connect with such an enormous number of people. And as you said, there are times where it is pauses, it is looks, it yeah. is stares. And yet all of that comes to life. Has that, I mean, do you feel the, that influence on your writing? Yeah, massively. Yeah, massively. Uh, and and I, uh, you realise as soon as you try and write like that that uh, uh, the the real genius is making it look easy, and um, they did make it look easy. It's like oh, all they do is and people say things like oh, it's oh, it's all in the pauses. It's like yeah, it is all in the pauses. I get that, but only because everything else around the pauses has been absolutely delicately constructed. And and, mm. and yet they, you know, my experience of being there on the day. Uh, 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 on several days we'd be filming and we'd turn up and they, we'd, we'd, do, we'd rehearse a scene and then they'd go, no, I don't like it, just go back. And we'd go back to our rooms and just sit there for like an hour and a half and they'd come back and they'd rewritten the whole scene. And uh, it, that's what led to my really bad habit of learning my lines, even to this day, really late, because I had to be able to get used to learning lines almost immediately and then saying them. And it made for a very lazy actor because I'm like, oh, well, I don't need to learn them beforehand. So I've tried to grow up and get out of that. But, um, you know, that kind of uh, fleetness of foot and that understanding of what was just intrinsically funny. And there were things like, I don't know, what was what was a good example? I remember when there was that famous thing where... where Peter Martin, the, the neighbour Joe, who never says anything, is a bit drunk, and he starts singing that song, um, Oh, I will take you home, Kathleen. He starts singing that. And it's really poignant and gorgeous because he's drunk and he never really says much, and it just pans across all the... Everybody just listening, and it gets to Darren, uh, me and Sheridan on the sofa, and we're just holding hands, and then Darren's just watching telly, he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And then it pans all the way back, and then it pans all the way again, and then it pans all the way back. And he does... I think he does three... I does two or three verses. I think he does three verses and three choruses. And I remember Caroline having a stand-up row with the producer, Kenton, and, and everybody, and them going, look, it's too long. It's too long, and we can't, we don't have a cut point. So it's not like we can shorten it in the edit. It's too long. And Caroline was like, it's not too long. I want three, for, and, like, and they were almost sort of saying to her, I don't think they've dared say it like this, but they were almost saying to her, don't you understand that this amount of time in television terms is like a year, it's like an acre of, 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 of you know, real estate. You can't do this. And she was like, we can do it and we are doing it because it works. And and Craig, obviously, you know, I, I always think Craig, we have to be careful because Craig's fa fabulous and brilliant and just, a, you know, without, without, without Craig, Caroline wasn't Caroline and vice versa. So it was both of them together. So um, a lot of people kind of think, you know, Craig's McCartney and Caroline's Lennon, you know, people, but they, they're both brilliant. Um, but Caroline was like, no, we, we have to have this. And then the thing... You watch it on telly and somehow it does work and against all the rules and against all the rules that have been set of television and the, the, for some reason that whole song it's not indulgent it works everybody's reaction's perfect and a lot of it was we didn't know that Liz Smith was going to sort of break down and pretend to cry and she just did that and, and at one point as the camera went she was going your dad used to sing this that wasn't written she just said it it was just I don't know that kind of alert this awareness of what people will connect with I just, I think you, you only see that once, twice in a generation, if you're lucky. And, you know, 
that working class voice as well. You know, I can't claim, I would be lying if I claimed to be working class because I was privately educated. I don't know about your background, Josie, but I don't think you really could claim to oh, be working no, class. Certainly no, certainly not. No, no I, I mean, thank goodness no, for you that. You see the croquet mallets I keep <laughs> Yeah. Just but, to kill the pigeons on the roof. Yeah, but... Um... That's, a, that's a mangling of the... Uh... Anyway, don't worry, bit of villain. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, to have that, I think a lot today more so, we, we've returned to a place where uh, you don't see as many working class... I don't think working class families see themselves represented on telly. And if they do, if, if they do, it's in things like Geordie Shore and stuff like that. Young working class people say, oh, and where are the Alan Bleasdales? And when I think Caroline going, we've lost one of the one of the one of the few that we we really couldn't afford to lose. Um, so let's get our typewriters out and see if we can help out. <laughs> we'll end on on that, I think, because yeah. it's a. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I would agree. The uh, wonderful, and I, do you know what? Also, the uh, Mrs. Merton and Malcolm, yeah. which a lot of people Aww. wrote about. I really like that. That's very. I funny. remember I was yeah. talking with Dave Gorman at the time, and we got back, and we were watching it, and we really enjoyed it. Yeah. And then for some reason, people had decided they weren't going to enjoy it. Yeah. And now it seems to have become this kind of oh well, there were. Yeah. I go. I thought it was. We talk about. I used to love. I, I guess I was very young, so I just didn't have any. Yeah, anybody telling thing. me what not to like um, that's where this is very um, useful time for me to plug Arts Emergency which is an organisation that I co-founded but um, and now just cheerlead uh, because they have people who actually work on it but um, what we exist to do is to um, try and empower and support young people who don't come from privileged backgrounds to create and to live artistic lives and to um, just get through all the shit that nowadays yeah. inhibits people from normal backgrounds yeah. and difficult backgrounds yeah. to participate in the arts and like it's the most important thing in the world for us to actually have diverse voices because I've always like you know that it isn't to say that people from privilege don't make good art because you know obviously no they absolutely do, but at the same and I, absolutely time, and I think I, I always try and be careful when we talk about this um sorry I know we're out of time but no um, no but it's fucking but boring I, I to think, just hear the same old shit the I, 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 but I think you got to be because Tom Middleston's a great actor and a lovely guy, oh, and as is Eddie Redmayne and as is Benedict Cumberbatch, and no one's saying, oh, uh, they're, they're less legitimate. They're, they've got a, a right to be successful and work hard as, as much as anyone does. But it's just, it, there is a danger of a sort of homogenous uh, arts culture happening where yes. it just through no one's fault, apart from, you know, um, Austerity and the lie that that is and everything you know people physically don't have the the means to be able to get into it. So arts emergency. And art is sidelined. We have to stop there in because education. we are running far too. Long. All right, sorry, sorry. And, okay. uh, and the, also we have Alan Moore waiting outside. Oh, and well, I've then left the he's going to be open, far more interesting than I am. I'm worried that none of the nice biscuits with a foil on them. <laughs> and get Alan okay, Moore in. So uh, thank you very much, Ralph Little. Thank you very much, Josie Long. You can find out more about uh, arts emergency. Just do well. Just put arts emergency in a search. Arts-emergency.org. You will find out more about arts emergency. And Ralph Little, I believe, is now going to get involved with you because uh, I've just said it on air and there's no way around it. <laughs> you got to see something, mate. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to this particular episode. And remember, you can find all the episodes we've done so far at cosmicgenome.com slash shambles. And this week, we'd like to thank these particular Patreon supporters who are Amanda Taylor, Julie Bow, Stephen Kinsella, Lorraine Gilbert, Tom Harris, James 9000. Thank you, James9000, robot from the future, I imagine. Rosie Panett, Derek Mantle and Alison Lodge. James9000.
and I'm going to announce the winner of the box of books this week for our Patreon supporters. And this week, the winner is Roger Langridge. Roger Langridge, you have won a box of books from the shelves of myself, Robin and Josie. So if you get in touch with us, you can go to cosmicgenome.com slash contact and send us an email or tweet us at cosmicgenome and we will get your prize out to you. And, of course, thanks to Roger and all our Patreon supporters for their support of the show. And if you'd like to be in with a chance of winning a box of books each week or just want to support the podcast, you can do that via Patreon or via PayPal. And all the links for that is on cosmicgenome.com slash shambles with all the reading lists and everything else. And don't forget, we will be on tour in Australia and New Zealand in March and April 2017. That's Robin and Josie and Helen Chersky, Matt Parker, Lucy Green and lots of other people as well. And if you happen to be in London, you can catch today's guest Ralph Little along with Catherine Parkinson, Steve Pemberton and Rufus Jones in Terry Johnson's play Dead Funny, which is playing at the Vaudeville Theatre until the 4th of February. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with another new episode. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 